Hey everybody, Corey Peterson, Multifamily Legacy Podcast. Man, I am excited today. I just came back from Hawaii um, on my 17-year anniversary. It was awesome. So I want to really jump over to iTunes and give you guys a, a couple real quick uh, reviews. I really do love, it changes my attitude when I, I get on this podcast and I, and I see the responses from it. So this comes from Bresbico, I think it is, right? August 14th. He goes, okay, so I was at the Michael Bullock event where Corey was a keynote speaker. I didn't know who he was. Well, he was inspirational, so I checked out his podcast. It's really freaking good. He's fun and informative at the same time. You will enjoy learning from him. Man, honestly, that is so cool for someone who doesn't know who I am to taking a leap of faith, going on to my podcast, and then actually liking it enough to take some time to leave a review. So thank you so, so much. Um, second one comes from Mike Newby. He says, Corey Peterson is absolutely top-notch, one of the leading multifamily investors in the nation and huge go-giver. His knowledge is vast and his willingness to share is unmatched. His podcast is audio gold, and I would highly recommend it to anyone looking to get into multifamily real estate or the experienced investor looking to gain that extra nugget to catapult his uh, career to the next level. Enjoy. You won't be disappointed. So, Mike, thank you so much for giving me that review. Uh, listen, guys, I love when you take the time to do this. It does change my attitude, and it really it helps get the word out there. So thank you for that. Also, we've been growing our uh, Facebook page, Multifamily Legacy Podcast page, and I said if you guys would go on there and leave questions, we'd answer it on the show. So this one comes from Candace Payne. She says, if you're new to this business and have a ton of residential experience, how do you get past people wanting to see this killer commercial credibility packet? I have a killer residential credibility packet, but I feel my LOI um, won't get taken seriously even if I have the money lined up. A great question, Candice. Normally, I'll tell you the easiest way is to borrow somebody else's credibility. Is If you don't have any experience in the multifamily world, um, find someone that does and, and latch on to them and say, hey, listen, um, you know, can I borrow your experience? And that will, because it's more important to get into your first multifamily deal than to uh, than to not. And so borrow someone else's credibility. But the truth is, Candace, you do have lots of credibility. You can just say, this is the change in direction that I'm going based on market conditions. And people will still understand you. And they'll believe in you because they believe in what you've done thus far. You don't have to have just multifamily experience. I, I took my single family experience. I bought my first apartment and I and I raised all my money from my single family people. So it, it absolutely can be done and it's, it's not the biggest change that you need. But if you are listening, looking for a credibility kit, uh, we have one at our Kahuna Investments uh, website. So go to kahunainvestments.com and you can uh, download uh, and we'll give you our credibility kit so you can take a look at it and then uh, model that for your success if you'd like. All right. So guys, uh, with that said, let's get ready for the show. So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. 
Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. We've got a really neat show for you today. I'm actually going to talk to you another local, Phoenix local, Bruce Woolett of Bakersons. Um, He has been in the business, gosh, um, you've been in the game for a long time. In fact, I remember we, gosh, maybe five or five years ago, we had quite a bit of conversations of just what we were doing in the multifamily space and just good. Um, what I found is that he has a lot of the similar thoughts and ideas of how you create community, um, how you create assets that not only do you get to improve the area, but you really get to raise everything around it. And the benefit is at the end, we get to all make money. So with that said, welcome to the show, Bruce. Hey, thanks for having me, Corey. It's really a pleasure. And yeah, we have known each other a while. Uh, been in business since in real estate 2001 with Baker, you know, with founded Bakerson in 2002. And I appreciate the opportunity to to share. 17 years in business, my friend. You've seen some market cycles, and you've uh, and you're still I've here. Got, I've got some bruises to show for it too, right? <laughs> yeah. <Some stars. laughs> and you're still here, brother. So that means you've done something right. I mean, you know, we all made mistakes along the way, but before we the show started, we were just talking about kind of what you do uniquely, and, and I'll let you just go ahead and share with everybody is kind of what does your footprint look like, and what do you guys do specifically in the a multifamily space? Oh, I'd love to share that. So we're, we're based in Phoenix. Our company is in Phoenix. Currently, all of our assets are in Tucson. So we're just uh, in a tertiary market south of, uh, south of Phoenix, and our focus is on Class C and we call it workforce housing. Basically, they're self-paying ten, uh, residents. We have maybe 10% are subsidized and otherwise, and 90% of the residents are uh, self-paying. So they have jobs, and they work uh, they, they work every day. So th- yeah. those are the people that we focus on. And what I, what I say is our focus is the permanent renter, the one who may never own a home and would like to live in one. Yeah, the permanent renters. Like, so I love that concept because truly – there's a lot of um, a lot of uh, tenants that are just exactly like that. They'll they'll probably never own a home, Bruce. You know that just as well as I do. But they still have the same desires, wants, and needs of a homeowner, which is community, safety, and so uh, and and really to know that someone cares, someone to keep their property nice and um, and I call it disciplined. In other words, like they keep the riffraff out. So let's talk about what do you guys do in that aspect? How do, how do you guys do and create community? What's what's your special sauce? Well, there's really a couple of areas that you can focus on. And uh, one of them is obviously quick response to problems that they have. So if they have a ticket, a, a service ticket that needs to get done, then they'll uh, you'll respond to it quickly in a timely manner. So that's always important that we handle that. And then the other thing is we treat them with dignity. You know, treat them with respect. They are uh, like... Very simple math, $700 resident or renter in the course of uh, you know, five years, they're going to pay $42,000. Why would you not take care of a $42,000 customer? Right. 
And especially when you have a hundred of them or so, right? Correct. Like, so now look that's, at this. Now, Corey, you mentioned, money. You, mentioned, you mentioned discipline, and that's awesome because what you're saying is exactly what I'm saying. You're saying you have discipline to take care of your property because you want to have your property look like it's always for sale. If there's a benefit coming from this, even though if you sell it or not, you want to be, have pride of ownership. So there's you do that. Well, this is how we do that. We take care of the resident, treat them with dignity. And then if there's prob- people that are a problem, if there's people that don't pay their bills or people that don't uh, hold up their end of the bargain of the agreement, they got to go. That's just the way it is. It's not personal. It's just you guys don't fit our community. You don't fit the, you're not taking care of what you're supposed to take care of. You have to leave. Yeah. I find that yeah, when you do that, when you create the community first, like that's your goal. And then the attrition from that is the people that don't want to abide by those rules and standards. And that's, that's fine because you'll get rid of them, but you'll still attract the, the people that do. And those are ten, typically your best tenants, right? They have the higher credit scores. They have usually better income, but they want they want the community. They want the little things that make uh, it a home. And that that's a big deal. Yeah, they do. And, and also the... Uh... The criminal element tends to leave. If you clean up the trash, the rats will leave. There was an operator out of Dallas that said that you clean up the trash, the rats will leave. And they, they don't want their they don't want to be confrontational with everybody. They have their own their own problems they're dealing with. But you clean it up, they leave. And so run a clean community. Just just doing the right things right, really powerful. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when you so what is your process right now? Like so, when uh, someone calls the uh, office, right? How does that equate to, let's take care of something quick, right? Yeah, well, currently we're not self-managing. So we have a property management company with the expectations and we get scorecards with them. And we work with those that have high ratings. And there's two that we work with in Tucson that we really, really like. And they've done, uh, they've treated the resident right. And they share our, our same core values. And they, they do report like the average ticket, you know, when it comes in and when it gets handled, how fast do we respond, how fast do you get it back. And, and they share those reports with us. Are you using MEB? I'm not. Okay. Larger properties typically we're using uh, we're using CalCap on two of the buildings and then Fort Lowell Property Management smaller operation. Michelle is just amazing what she does with the uh, lower income residents. She's she's just a gem. What I love so I, I kind of loaded that question up in because uh, I wanted to see this the right response, which is our management company handles that. In my opinion, that's the right response because I would say the same thing. Like, well, we have a process. Either I know the process or I don't, but Typically, good a good management company is going to have a follow up process to not only uh, to take in the incoming ticket to facilitate the work, um, and then also a follow up process to come back and say, "Hey, uh, you know, basically like a, a follow up, like either from a manager or somebody that's in uh, quality control, saying, "Hey, so and so went to your property. Is there any other things or any items? Are you one hundred percent satisfied?" And that's like getting the final check mark. And good management companies have processes built just that way to make us as the owners look golden. And yeah, that's a beautiful a, thing. There's some property managers do not want the owners to walk the property for whatever reason. Uh, we do walk the properties and sometimes we ruffle some feathers, but typically we'll ask residents, hey, do you like it here? And they'll ask, hey, are you the owner? Yeah, I am. What's going on? And almost all the time they say, no, nothing. Things are great here. We really like it. And we just wanted to thank you. We get that more often than complaints. Every once in a while, we'll get somebody that says, you know, I've had this complaint for a while. Then you find out they're a, a complaining person by nature, and then and their issues are not as big as they make it sound. And, and a lot of times they're the ones that are not paying or a slow pace. Correct. That's it's funny thing. how that works. 
I wonder how why so many people pay late with late fees every month. Wouldn't it be easier just to back up a month and save themselves a lot of money? Oh man, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy yeah. out there. Now, market wise, so Tucson, Arizona, that's a great market actually, right? I mean, that's I know it's not as big as Phoenix, but there's lots of opportunity out there. Yeah, the MSA is about 1.1 million, so it's quite a bit smaller, you know, one one fourth, one fifth of the size of, uh, of Phoenix Metro. Uh, the demographics are similar. The difference, the demographics being there is a very heavy college uh, with the University of Arizona being the, one of the primary and then a lot of medical research and some uh, military bases there, the Davis Mountain uh, Air Force Base. Uh, and then the, obviously the business that go around the Raytheon. That. So it's, it's a very different um, work, you know, workers, uh, workforce, but similar demographics as far as the people that are there. And the culture is very similar. Um, the margins are a little wide, broader because there's here in Phoenix, you know this, that some of the big players are buying them for such slim margins because they're in, they're in it for the long haul. And things on the economic horizon for the, the market in Phoenix that even if we have a pullback, it's long term, it's, it's going to be going to be good. Yeah, I agree. It's harder to cash. It's really hard to cash flow in Phoenix. But like if you can, but <clears throat> the appreciation is greater. But if, but but like so, but that's why Tucson makes because you're still going to get the appreciation of Tucson, but you can cash flow. Yeah, so that's, that's appreciation. Sure. Yeah. We went there three years ago. It was really quiet when we first went at Tucson market. It was July of 2016. It's actually quite uh, quite amazing what has occurred since then down there. Even it's just it's really gotten tight down there. Are you interested in going to any other uh, markets other than just uh, the Tucson area? Yeah, we have a we have a. a, a and um, agreed upon LOI and accepted LOI on a property just outside of Houston, the Houston MSA. So there's a, a partner there. He's somebody we know really well, and we've known him for a number of years. And then recently, uh, within the last year, he said, "Hey, let's let's. I want to grow my business. He's got like 700 something units, but they're all small buildings, right. and he wants to work on a hundred unit and up, and has not done many of those, and or if any. And we've done a few. So we said, "Hey, let's partner." So we just got our first accepted LOI. We're in the contract negotiations stage it should open uh escrow on the next week that's a nice oh, right on so we're expanding into taxes so that that looks uh, promising very similar culture different work so let's talk about raising capital um for these deals so when you get these deals what's your uh, and something that's something you you've actually been really good at throughout the years that i've known you is is the ability to talk and have investors so what does that look like for you and and, and how do you find them and attract capital well we started out like like a lot of small businesses with friends and family we've done quite well with that and we felt like we kind of tapped into that they really can't pull much more out of that well um, there are some but we said you know we got to spread our wings and so we've we've really been hitting uh linkedin really hard recently getting a lot of great responses there um, one guy heard me on the radio on money radio and called us up and and decided yeah he wants to invest and so you know he bought some shares and so that we're branching out that way but it's Primarily been the friends and family and who do you know, but this new uh, new marketing is, is paying off actually quite quickly. We're actually uh, we're pleasantly surprised at how quick response we get from new investors. Yeah, I think that's the uh, when you really start getting more deals, more capital, <clears throat> your friends and family. Unless you have a really strong and wide base of friends and family, you'll you'll get eat up if you don't have a steady supply of finding new 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 leads i call them new leads for a better word right and those are like your dentists doctors lawyers um and and you're doing you're just exactly right you're speaking going to speaking events right coming on podcasts 
uh, is another way to promote yourself. But it's really about promoting yourself and telling your story, right? Telling right. the Bakerson story. Yeah, and I've been, um, you know, you know, historically, you know, in our infancy in our business, Jack was the, the one out there telling the story. He's an awesome storyteller. He's a really good friend still, and he did really well with that. And I was the guy behind the scenes. And I kind of liked the behind the radar unknown. Um, we'd go on the auction. We were one of the biggest buyers, and nobody knew who, who I was personally. It was kind of fun. But then as we've grown our business now, and, you know, Jack and I went different directions, we were, like I say, we're still great friends, which is exciting. In fact, he was just texting me before I came on the podcast with you. So, but now I realize that, hey, we need, I need to be out there. And I'm not afraid of public speaking, not afraid of the limelight. And so I got on some podcasts. I've been on um, some conferences, on panels, and I'm kind of enjoying it. It's, it's been fun. It was because it's a great stage. And it's really, so I always tell people too, like for my new investors that are listening, you've got to create platforms for you. And whether, you know, in the beginning, you may not know a whole lot, but like you've got to go and, find a place where you, you teach what you know or share what you know. And a lot of times that's that's really even, you know, Jack's, I mean, um, Bruce has been doing it for a long time and, and he's had very uh, high level of success, um, but he didn't start there. And all you got to do is you talk about what you know. And, um, you know, just like, you know, you're talking about there was a time there when you guys were one of the biggest and baddest buyers at the auction. Like, that's a fact. People that know you and know that are in the in this space know that Bakerson was a player. I mean, a big player on the auction block, right? That's what you guys did. Yeah, I was at a meetup a couple of weeks ago, and a guy pulled pulled me aside, and I recognized his name. I said, "Why do I know you?" He said, "I bought probably a dozen homes from you over the years. When you guys would buy at the auction, I'd buy them within 24 hours." He said, "I got so many good deals. Why don't you send me deals anymore?" I said, well, "We're just not doing houses." So yeah, that was we're still known by that, even though it's probably been five years since we've had any impact at the auction. Yeah, but it is it is a it has been a fantastic journey. Talk about the transition from that to what you do now, and what do you like uh, better or, or worse, or, or like what's the difference? Yeah, no, gladly. So just to, to be brief and to cover a little bit about the past, we were uh, we were we bought houses more than we could ever fix and sell. So I was introduced to wholesaling in two thousand and two. Two thousand three started wholesaling and. We wholesaled about 2,200 homes in our history, uh, many of them before 2007. Then the crash came 2008-9. And then 2011 or 12, we did 287 homes one calendar year. And it was like a, we were a machine. So is that better? That was probably more fun from a standpoint of just sheer energy and activity, seven escrows in one day, three title companies. I was flying by the seat of my pants on purchase and sale, hoping one would close soon enough so we could find another one. and just this back and forth. That was fun. But is that a good business model long-term? No, not for me. So what I what I see now is I'm actually more excited about the results than the actual activity. The activity was adrenaline pumping, but I got into mountain biking instead. My coach told me, quit using your business to feed your adrenaline. Go, <laughs> go mountain biking, go jump out of airplanes, do something else, but use your business. So that's why, but the, the multifamily the transition was we were we were wholesaling houses and we then we started finding apartment buildings. We were wholesaling probably 25 apartment buildings. And one day we looked and like, we could do that. It's really not that hard. It's just a bunch of houses together. And so we ran the numbers. So we started to, to fix and sell the buy, fix and sell model, which you know we've done for what five, six years now. Yeah. Well, five years, five and a half. However, I'm finding out that one that creates an income, but where's the wealth? How do you create wealth? You create wealth by creating passive income. And so now of the three properties we own in Tucson, one or two of those we're going to keep. 
But we just got, we're going to run a contract on one that's opening escrow today, and that one will be a hold. So we're going to do a long play on that one. And yeah. Some, and then the one in, in Houston is also going to be a 10-year. And people say, well, 10 years is a long time. You don't know what's going to happen. I say, you don't know what's happening in three years either, so what's the difference? And if we go 10 years and four years into it, we figure, hey, now is a good time to sell. You sell. I love that. Hold on. The whole time out. I did you just something really gold. That's a golden nugget, right? People say, what's the difference between 10 years and three? No one still knows the difference, right? Yeah. It's the same question mark. Yeah. That, my friend, is golden nuggets. And if that's the case, then why not play the long game? That's right. But you know where I got this from? You know who really pushes me is my son. He's half my age. And he's been saying, you know, we really got to buy and hold. He's I want to create this less less stress and more cash flow. And I, I don't mind the stress, but like my coach said, quit using your business to feed your adrenaline. So now I'm thinking, okay, how can I do that? So that transition is a little bit painful in the sense that your income changes, the, the way you get paid changes, how often you get paid changes. But as we see this happening, we see the equity happen. this. Why just take that equity and throw it into another project with the hope that maybe we can gain? Why not just leave it there and watch it grow? And, yes. run, and do what you said and be disciplined and run a, a solid company within your you're operating. You're becoming an operator. I love that word. Like, cause like, it means that like when you're an operator, it means you're just you're managing properties that cash flow, and that's really the job is to manage cash flows and assets. And you know, you only sell if someone's going to pay you a stupid amount of money for it. Because if they're not willing to pay you stupid, like I'll just keep it and um, and be happy. But if someone was going to pay you like a three cap, you're like, oh, I might sell it at a three cap, and I'll go buy a seven cap, you know, that could make sense. But really, but I love the other part, which you just said, uh, Bruce, was the wealth, the net worth. And that's really the truth is you made a, a great living all these years, wholesaling, the auction, buy, flip, and whole, uh, sell. But now that you're holding stuff, that's when your net worth really starts to skyrocket. Right. Yeah, well, I ran the numbers. And I've never really sat down until like a year or so ago and ran the numbers of what the difference would be if you hold it or if you sell it. Well, if you hold it, pretty confident just by running a good apartment building, you'll see your the money that's in that, that the equity will continue to grow like this because the rents are going to go up. Yep. You look, you look at rents across Arizona over the history, they've really never gone down. They just continue to go up. When, when we had a shortage or we had a, a houses, were, remember those houses we were buying back in 2000 and 10, 11, 12, 30, $40,000 a house. Oh my God. So the rentals were full and they, they kept going up because rentals were full. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. And, and even the rental market didn't get hurt as bad because yeah. people were still paying rent. They got, the ones that lost their homes had to go what? Rent. Yeah. And right now we still have a high demand for workforce rentals. I mean, in all, in BNC class and in nicer yeah. neighborhoods, there's a high, high demand right now for property owners, I mean, for property rentals. Yeah, exactly. I find that's really the biggest piece of the puzzle. I think the difference between the single family game and the multifamily game is really the ability to um, to leverage uh, the the whole process to grow your wealth. Because it's really you said it in the beginning: cash flow and and net worth. And then really with your son involved, that's the other piece that I think the real piece. I think the driver for me is legacy, right? is what am I going to leave behind to my kids? Yeah. What do they want? And um, and they want passive cash flow. They want le- you know that legacy wealth. And it's fun when you get to build it. You're building it with your son. How awesome is that? Yeah. No, I'm very blessed for that. And it has its 
has its ups and downs, but very few downs and a lot of ups. You know, I, I've mentioned to people that I'm pretty, pretty fortunate. We, we uh, socialize together. We work together. We've done vacations with his family. He's got a small family. I got my wife and our kids, you know, his mom. So we were able to travel together, you know, married 28 years with six kids. And then we still work together. Congratulations, man. Pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting ready to celebrate uh, 17 years of marriage. In fact, on Friday, so when this thing gets produced, it'll I'll already be on vacation. But um, well, happy um, anniversary on Friday. That's that's awesome. Yeah, 17. It's not bad for you know. I I, I can't wait till my 28 or you know getting that. That's um, a good start. Isn't that about? So it's, you know, even a lot of times I always think about like marriage life and like apartments. Kind of have so they're like the same deal. You know, you you buy an asset for a long term. You gotta you gotta keep it up. Right. In other words, you've got to. It's like dating your wife. You've got to date your wife consistently, just like you got to keep putting money into your properties to keep them nice and keep them clean. And 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 the payoff is they take care of you forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, my analogy I, on my wife. Okay. No, that she has a, probably a different version, <laughs> but that's my version that I'm using for myself. Yeah, she, she's pretty clever, so I bet hers is hers is maybe more marketable. No, I don't know. <laughs> so I remember no that I, when you when you mentioned that you know at that time when we we first met how many five six years ago and we talked about apartments and where we were going and and I was not excited about the cash flow why because at that time I was I was addicted to the flip you know but now when that's changed now now I'm able to pause stand back and say okay wait. Why would we ever sell this building? We put all of our blood, sweat, and tears. Why let somebody else enjoy it? Let's us enjoy it. Yeah. Because it's just a long, man, the biggest transition is what you just talked about. It's a, it's a little bit of a pain. It's an irritant because the income that you make from getting it gone feels like so much, a, a lot, but it's really small in comparison to the big picture of when you hold one right, right? The long picture of holding something pays off way more better than the quick uh, the quick money but the quick money feels when you're doing you know the volume that you guys were doing and what you were doing that's hard to let go in the beginning don't you think yeah well just looking back on those houses just think if we had a safe if we had a oh, kept one in ten houses we'd have 220 homes under our belt and at 30 forty thousand a pop I just see I just got a, a, a wholesale email on a, on a Maryville property they said it's worth 230. You know, Maryville. <laughs> we haven't seen that in ten years. Right? I don't know if it even hit that before. I mean, that's probably a record. <laughs> so, yeah, we were buying those for forty thousand, forty thousand a, a door. I've, you know? I've got two properties that I still own that I bought in two thousand nine, and um, I'm finally getting ready to sell these single family homes. And, and it's like kind of the same deal. I, I own them both free and clear, and I'm going to sell them for a stupid amount of money. And um, and the only thing I wish I would have said is, why didn't I keep all the ones I bought? Because I bought quite a few as well, and I'm like, especially I was in, I was buying them in Santan Valley. Yeah, and we're buying those like new 2005 built homes for 2000, for like 1600 square foot home for like 60 grand. Yeah, and it was brand new. I mean, it was built in 2005 or six, and and this is 2009, so they're only like five years old, for 60 grand, and they're now selling for two and a quarter all day long, right? And um. Uh, yeah, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. That's right. So we're it's still it's still it's fun, and you, you look back, you learn something, but you're not going to grow without learning. So yeah, well, let's talk about the future. So like, think about like if you fast forward five years from now, Bruce, what what does your business look like, and what what do you think it gives you? In five years, we'll have uh, over a thousand units in ownership, 
And our leverage will be no more than 60% of value with the Fannie and Freddie loan. And hopefully in multiple markets in the Southwest. I want to stay in the sun states is what I know. I know air conditioning. I know EVAPs and swamp coolers and, and above ground plumbing, you know, things like that. So I feel really confident in the, in the product in the Southwest. And so that's what I foresee in five years for Bakerson. As far as the economy, if you're wondering about that, I have no idea. Yeah, I, mean, I have no idea with the economy either. So, but, but if, it's... if we leverage right, we're thinking if we leverage at 60 to 65 cents on the dollar and, and we push the values up, you know, push the values up with proper, proper management, we're in a safe spot. And so are the investors who are behind us and, and going along on the journey with us. They're like-minded people. They can see their, they can see their nest egg grow as well. And that's, that's really, really what we want to see. In fact, if we see the investors getting happy and their, their equity growing, we know we're doing our job and we're doing well. And guess what? We're growing along with them. So it's, oh, man, that's a great point. That's a great point. Bruce is it is, it comes back to the investors, right? Everything you probably do. So let's talk about investors for a minute. What, what, what do they bring to the table and how, like, when you think about your investors, I mean, um, how do you protect them? How do you, uh, and what do they expect and um, communication wise from you and things like that? Well, that's, uh, they, they are more than money. They, they provide an opportunity for us to grow our business. So money, money is, you get money like without emotion from a bank, but the bank will only goes so high and they, they charge you the least amount of money. Then you get equity. The equity investors want a little more. They want a higher return. Um, they're in it. There's a lot more emotion attached to the money. And what they want is regular communication. And um, as a number of investors told me, we don't care what the news is. Just deliver the news. Yeah. You know, even if you say, hey, we missed our number. We're going to have a loss for this quarter because we had this, this, or that happen. But here's what the long term looks like. And here's our plan to fix that. What they want to hear. What happened? And how are you going to fix it? And how am I protecting? Here's why you're protected. And you share that with them when you have a, if things don't look quite as rosy as, as you had hoped. It's, and it comes down to communication, which personally, it took me a while to, to get to that point. I have not been a great communicator with, with people, good news or bad news. I just plow, figure plow forward. You know, no news is good news, but is it? Our investing, I don't care. Just share something. So I've, I've got a couple of people on staff that send out the updates, the newsletters, the, the emails, and the phone calls to make sure that the investors are, are kept up to date on what's going on at Bakerson and, and how, are we, uh, how are we managing our current projects. Dude, that, that is one of the key is communication. Most investors, whether you're right, just you nail it on the head, good news or bad news, they just want the news. And then they want to know if it's bad, tell us what you're going to do because they've already put their trust in you. All right. I mean, at the, once they gave you their, your, their money, they said, I believe. And at that point, you just got to make sure that you're steering the ship and, um, and they'll allow you to do it as long as you communicate with them. And that what you is that what you find? Yeah, and, and also uh, I was I was listening to an audio book yesterday. I was on a car ride from middle of nowhere, New Mexico, and in there the guy said, "Do what you say you're going to do." No, say what say what you're going to do, and then do what you say you're going to do. Do what you said. See, I butchered it, but you get the idea. Do it. Say what you're going to do, and then do what you said you're going to do. And that's what they want. And if it changes, let us. If anything changes, let us know. But they want updates. So that's that's very very true. That doesn't even seem complicated, but for a lot of people, it is. Well, it's hard for me, it was hard for me to say it, but it, it's really not. <laughs> but even then, the execution of it, right? So the point I want to make, too, that you just said is you don't do that. You have your team do it and your staff, and that's absolutely okay. But if, And for new investors, if you don't have the time, you've got to find either make the time or you've got to find someone on your staff that is that 
is designated to do that one thing because that's mission critical. Communication yeah. with your investors is mission critical. Yeah, in fact, um, I actually I pulled this up to want to read it. It says, "Do what you said you would do when you said you would do it, the way you said you would do it." Yeah. So, so you say I'm going to communicate with you on a regular basis. Then do that. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Well, and I so we this is the other part of that is if setting investor expectations, right? Because when your investors first come in, they don't know what to expect. You give them expectations, and then you either meet them or don't meet them. And so uh, you got to be mindful of what you say and how you're going to communicate. But you're, it goes back to what you just said. Uh, do what you say you're going to do, and then do it the way you said, right? And if you will do that, that creates confidence, and it really creates referrals. Well, here, you know, You've been really good at referrals, haven't you? Yeah, we've done, we've done quite well. And our look at our very first syndication. We, we bought a property, 120 units in uh, in Glendale, and we raised the capital. And then we didn't we didn't not nobody visited with the investors for 18 months, about 15 months, whatever it was. They're starting to get nervous. They haven't heard anything. They're calling us and wonder what's going on. We're like, oh, things are going great. And then when we closed it, a few of them did not reinvest at that time. They have sense, but it did not at that time. Why? There's too because too much anxiety. Even though they made you know. I think it was over 20% annualized return, you know, IRR. Yeah. It's funny, yes, almost 21. It did really, really well because the market was also going up, so that's why it added the return, did really well. But they said, hey, if you guys, you guys got to keep us in the loop along the way. We don't like the anxiety of not hearing anything, and then we get a check in the mail. That's great. The check is big. The check is really nice. It's a year and a half and a great return. But you got to communicate along the way. So someone took their money and kind of held it, and then they invested back as they see us do the second, third, fourth, and now we've done over a dozen projects. In fact, we've done 15 apartment buildings, 14 cents, 15 total. But that just goes to the communication. They're more interested in the communication than the return in some respects. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And really, th- I mean, that's a that's a good um, uh, point to kind of end on is is really is setting investor expectations, managing those expectations, delivering on that process. And when you do it and you do it well and you communicate with them, they become like the golden goose because they will always they'll they'll want to reinvest in your next deal. They'll always uh, and they'll they have friends that will that they want to share with you. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Cool. Hey, so listen, if uh, if people want to fi- find um, Bruce and Bakersons, where do they go and how they find how do they find your company? Well, you go to bakerson.com and uh, we have uh, links on there to reach out to us. If you're an investor, there's ways to reach out on investments there. If you want to reach me personally. Uh, email bruce at bakerson.com cool brother listen guys uh you know this has been a great episode of you know someone that went from wholesaling to buy uh buy hold and sell to now he's just playing the long game and he's loving it and it's creating a legacy for his company for his his family um that really is the name of the game in my opinion but more importantly it's about mindset you guys at the end of every show i always end it the same way I truly believe when you can believe it, you can achieve it, and your paradise is possible.